Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you're still sitting there, I hope you brought your Bible with. Turn to Acts chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, you should find one under a pew chair near you. I encourage you to go along. We will be looking at 47 verses this morning in about 20 minutes. So uh, hang on. Uh, We will be uh, going through this. We won't be looking at every verse or every nuance of this. But we are looking at the overall principle of the first day of the church. And that's what I've entitled this day one of the church. We're going to look at it and start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. You may not care what the day of Pentecost is, but here's what you need to know if you're going to understand how the church began. Day of Pentecost simply means 50. At the Old Testament, you read the Feast of Weeks, same thing. Here's what happened. is when it was time for the harvest to be harvested, they would go out to the corner of the field, take a sickle, a scythe. They would take a bundle of grain as representative of the blessing to come, of the bountiful harvest to come. They would take it into the temple, into the tabernacle, and they would offer it before the Lord as a sacrifice. The sacrifice of the first fruits. It was thanking God ahead of time for His provision. Fifty days later, they would celebrate the feast of Pentecost. They called it the Feast of Weeks because here's what it says in the Old Testament. It says seven sevens, 49 days later, plus one. Here's what happened. If you wonder why we meet on the first day of the week and not the last day of the week to worship God, you should worship God at all times. Okay, across the board. You should worship God at home, when you have devotions, at work, while driving in your car, uh, you name it, you should be worshiping God. But the set-aside time for the church is the first day of the week. Why? God started the church on the first day of the week. Because 7 times 7 would have brought you to Saturday, plus one day makes it 50. The day of Pentecost came. It was the day when God designed that the church would begin. Remember, first fruits were stalks of grain with heads on it. But the feast of Pentecost, they bake loaves of bread, put it in, and they put yeast in it. Telling us, and by the way, Ben said even in the Nakanai tribe, there are problems in the church. Well, guess what? This is the first feast the first offering that had yeast in it because God knew exactly what I am like. Oh, yeah, and he knew what you're like. He knew that the church had and would have sin and problems. And on that day, he chose to a whole new system that we would come to God based on what they were just singing about, about Christ and only on Christ The people that were gathered there were Jewish people. Some of them were true believers in Jesus Christ. About 120 of them. But there were at least 3,000 more people that were gathered at the temple. They were gathered there from all over the Roman Empire. 
14 or 15 different dialects, uh, locations, and people groups were gathered there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And as they are gathered there, 120 of them that had just witnessed Jesus Christ being taken right up into the clouds out of their sight, going back to heaven. They had just witnessed that. They are there, and they're all gathered, as it says in verse 1, in one place. And in verse 2, it says, suddenly there was the sound of a mighty wind. It does not say it was windy or a tornado took place. simply says the sound of it was there. And then they saw something that looked like tongues of fire. I, I try to picture what that looked like. The only thing that comes to my mind, it looks like lightning. I, I don't know. But nobody is getting zapped by lightning. And no wind is blowing anybody off their feet. But God is doing something to get everyone's attention. And he gets at least 3,000 people's attention. And, and because he wants to make sure that everybody knows that he is going to do something that is different from what he had done before. And these people are gathered there. And uh, we're looking now about verse 6. And it says, all these people, they were bewildered. And, and they heard the 120 speaking in languages that they understood, but they know, knew that the 120 were Jewish people from Jerusalem who didn't know their local dialects. But they were speaking them. They were languages not learned by the speaker, but understood by the listeners. That was not a gospel message. All they were doing there is proclaiming the Wonderful works of God. And everyone that was looking on and listening, it says in verse 7, they were amazed and marveled. It's saying, how can these Galileans be doing this thing? This is something. We, we hear them in our own languages that we were born into. What is going on? It goes on to list, list those different dialects. And then it says, some of them start mocking. They're like, Ha, huh, we know what it's going on. This isn't something from God. This isn't something spiritual. These guys are drunk. They're, they're acting drunk. Well, drunk people don't make sense. These people were making sense. And, but they were mocking them. Because at this point, these people, Jewish people, were still thinking they're going to get to heaven and be right by, with God because they were born Jewish, or they joined the Jewish sect of the religion, or they were keeping the Old Testament law, and they're going to be good enough to make it. And so, they're not really interested in this person, Jesus. In fact is, lots of them would have been joined by others who only a very short time before that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, Get, do away with this man. You see, Jesus upset everything. They thought they had it all nice and together. He had their little religious things that they did. Jesus came along and said, no, 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 it's not good enough. In fact, is all the law did was show you how far short you fall of meeting God's standards. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody gets to heaven, nobody comes to the Father but through me. He threw a monkey wrench into their re nice little religious way of thinking. And in the midst of that, we get a sermon. 
the first evangelistic sermon that began the church. Now remember, everybody's attention has been gotten. Whether it was the, the wind, the sound of the wind, whether it was lightning, whether it was people speaking in languages that they had never learned, all of a sudden everybody's like, hold it. This is not normal. Something's out of place. Something isn't what the usual. God is doing something. They had to admit that. And that's when Peter stands up. Now, it says that he had to declare. It says he raised his voice. He's talking to 3,000 people. How he did it, I don't know. They must have had good acoustics, whatever it was. And he stands up and says, Hey, folks. These people aren't drunk as you think they are. But this is what is going to happen in the future. And it's happening right before you. See, he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Joel and he says, these things are going to happen. And they are literally going to be fulfilled. They haven't been yet. In the future, when Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign, these things that are quoted. I'm not going over that. I don't have time. But... These things are going to happen. And we know this wasn't the fulfillment complete of it because it says the sun is going to get dark and the moon's going to turn to blood and all kinds of things like that. That didn't happen that day. But some of it did. It was a foreshadow of what would happen in the future. And God used that to get their attention. But in verse 22, Peter gets to the crux of his message. The crux of his message is this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed before him, before you uh, in your presence. He said, this is the one, this man... Jesus, the Nazarene, the ones that you despise, the ones that you delivered up. And it goes on to say, you delivered up into the hands of godless men. You see, the Jewish people didn't drive nails in the cross. But they might as well would have because they were absolutely guilty of it. Because when he was put in front of them, they said, do away with this guy. Crucify him. We don't want him. And so they turned him over to the Romans, and the Romans actually are the ones that crucified him. Who was guilty? All of us. You see, all sin has to be paid for. That's your sin, my sin, the Jewish people's sins, all of them. It goes on to say that you, by the way, they're not the ones that drove the nails in the cross, but Peter says to the Jewish people, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Notice, oh yeah, I, God used the Romans, no doubt about it. But he says, no, you're my chosen people. You know better. You know the scriptures. You have the truth. But you are guilty. And it goes on to say, and God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Truth of the matter is, here's what it comes down to. Every person who's ever lived is a part of putting the nails in Christ's hands. All of us are born sinners, separated from God. And the only way we can be right with God is if we have someone 
to pay the price, the complete total price of God's holiness, His justice, His wrath. Someone has to do that for us. You can't do it. In fact, is the law and the things of religion just tell us how short we are in coming to a place where we're right with God. Someone perfect had to do this. That's Jesus Christ. The one who is not only man, but first and foremost is God. God who took on a body and died in our place. He's the one you nailed to the cross. But he is also the one that paid the full price for our sins. We couldn't do it on our own. He did it for us. That made them look bad because uh, all their religious things kind of went by the wayside. It's like, well, this this really doesn't hold any water. Something isn't right here. You know, we thought we were okay. And he makes us look bad. Because he says, no, I did it for you. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. These people were still trying to get to heaven on their own. People do it to this day. You may not be Jewish. I don't know if anybody in here is Jewish. If you are, hey, praise the Lord, I'm glad you're here. But most people aren't Jewish that live around us. But guess what? They still try to get to heaven and be right with God by their own means. They believe if they give enough money, say enough prayers, light enough candles, go to church enough, be nice to their neighbor, just go right down. Just go right down the list. It doesn't matter what it is. If I do enough, God will accept me. Problem is, God will only accept perfection. And the only one that was absolutely perfect and ever will be absolutely perfect is Jesus Christ. He alone is the one that paid for the sins. And it goes, he, he continues on uh, in this passage to say, Therefore, this is verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Notice what Peter makes clear. The one who is the Lord simply means the one that's the master, the one who has the right of ownership. That's Jesus Christ, nobody else. No one else can meet that standard. But he's also the Christ. The word Christ means someone who's anointed or the Messiah, the one who is working 100% on behalf of God the Father. Only Jesus Christ is Lord and the Christ, the Messiah. And even his human name, Jesus, Joshua. That's what it is in Hebrew. There are lots of Joshuas, but only one Joshua was God in the flesh. Only one Joshua who had the right of ownership and the right to be the master. Only one Joshua who was the one sent from God to do God's work, the Messiah. Joshua simply means Jehovah saves. The only one that could provide salvation. The people who were listening, you go, so did they understand? Did they know what is going on? The answer is they absolutely had a pretty good idea what's going on. If you'll follow with me in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what should we do? Okay, we understand. We're sinners. 
We're the ones that brought about Christ's death, and He did it on our behalf. He paid for our sin. So what do we do? I've never had anybody necessarily do that. We don't use the words pierced to the heart. We would say they were convicted. But here's what it means. You know this. By the way, I'm going to challenge you. Do you know you've trusted Christ? If you feel the Holy Spirit poke in your heart. By the way, you all know what it is. You told a lie or something great happened. You know what it's like. Your blood pressure goes up. Your heart pumps. You can feel it kind of, you know, once they even come out of your... You you know, and, and that's where it comes from. Conviction. Because we have a reaction to conviction. These people were convicted and they said, Peter, what do we do? What what do we do with this information? We recognize we're the ones that caused the problem. Peter said to them, and he makes a command. He said, repent. Repent doesn't mean change your lifestyle. It's not what it means. Lots of people use it that way. That's not what it means. That's the result of repentance. Repentance simply means this, and you can look it up. It means to change the mind. That's what it means. Change your mind. Change your mind about what? You've looked at Jesus as somebody to yell crucify about. You've looked at him as an imposter, someone who was trying to change things, someone who was someone you wanted nothing to do with. You need to change your mind and realize he's the Savior Change your mind about what, who Jesus Christ is and about what Jesus Christ has done. He is the one that paid for your sin. Now, a lot of people will say here, well, it says repent and be baptized. So if you're going to be right with God, you have to repent and be baptized. That is not what it says. Put a parenthesis right there because, and I, I'm not going to, this is not a Greek lesson, but repent is plural and baptize is singular. Cannot go together. That doesn't work that way. But here's what it does say. So follow with me in your Bible. It says, Peter said to them, Repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Both of those, forgiveness and the the gift of the Holy Spirit, are plural. So here's what it reads. It says, Repent, and God will forgive your sins and give you the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. And then there's a parenthesis in the middle and says, oh, and by the way, each one of you, and this is also a command to be baptized, it says each one of you that has repented, has had their sins forgiven, has the Holy Spirit, you are to be baptized. The word baptized means to place into, to dip. As for example, uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, whoever baptizes his Matzah in the bowl with me is the one that's going to betray me. It means to dip into. It's baptism by immersion, as we would call it. It represents an outward symbol of what happened on the inside. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again. All it is, is an outward indication, an outward identification of what happened to us spiritually. We died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, we were raised with Christ. And the God-given biblical way of giving a testimony and showing the world that you're a Christian is baptism. 
And is it an option? Well, it won't keep you out of heaven. But if you're going to be obedient to what God says, it says this is a command. You can't get saved without repentance. But you also can't be fully obedient without being baptized. And that's all that's saying. That day, there was a response to that message. We'll pick it up in verse um, 40. And it says, With many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Remember, why did he say saved from this generation? Is there something different there? The answer is yes. They were the ones, that was the generation that yelled, Crucify him. So you don't want to be identified with this generation. You want to identify with Christ, not with the, with the crowd. You want to be different, without a doubt. And it says, those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here's what happened. That day, and yes, there was plenty of room. I don't have time to go into it, but there was plenty of place to baptize 3,000 uh, 3, people in one day. Um, if you want to, go look it up in the encyclopedia or whatever, is all Jewish people, before they went into the temple, had to ceremonially dunk themselves in water before they were allowed to go in. By the way, nobody went into the temple grounds with a fancy hairdo because it got washed out before you got there. It's just the way it was. All that was available right at the steps going into the temple. And there was about 120 people that would be doing the baptizing. They could easily do it. But the point is, they received the word. They took what Peter had said for themselves. They received the word. They truly repented. They changed their minds. And immediately said, we want everybody to know it. We're going to be baptized. And they were. And it says that the, they were counted. Somebody did an accounting. There were at least 3,000 people that day that repented. 3,000 people that were baptized, 3,000 people that were counted as Christians that day. Point is, if you've never trusted Christ, that's the important one. If you've never said, I need to see Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, plus or minus nothing, you need to change your mind to that mindset and receive what God has said. Receive Christ, his salvation. If you've trusted Christ and you have not publicly made that declaration in baptism, that's another command. By the way, the only command I know of in the New Testament for disciples of Christ that somebody else does it for you. It's in the passive, which means I choose, yes, I'll be baptized, but somebody else actually baptizes me. Pretty interesting. The introduction to discipleship is something that I simply submit to. Somebody else does it for me. All the other commands of the New Testament, all the other aspects of discipleship are something you need to do. You need to get out there and by faith put it into practice. But not baptism. It's different than the rest. But they went on after that to continue on in the truths of the Word of God, the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to fellowship, to getting together to celebrate the Lord's Supper and just to be with each other. And you know what the end result was, 40, verse 47? It says the people around them saw that they were different. There was a huge difference in what they were like 
when they came to Christ. I'm going to ask you as we bow your heads. Father, I pray that as we bring this to an end, that anyone that is not sure that they have repented and they see Jesus Christ for exactly who he is, that he is God in the flesh, the one who shed his blood, died on the cross for their sins, that they would trust Christ. Simply acknowledging to God that they know they're a sinner and they can't save themselves. Acknowledging that Jesus Christ alone paid the full penalty for our sin. and That he rose again, proving that that transaction had taken place. God's holiness and righteousness and judgment had fully been uh, dealt with. And Lord, that they would ask Jesus Christ to save them. And Lord, if there's others who realize that, yes, they've trusted Christ, never publicly made that known by that public identification of baptism, that they would make that choice to take that next step and make the choice to publicly identify themselves as Christians. And Lord, there are others who, they've done those two things, but they've just kind of been floundering around and not getting in the Word and not praying and not fellowshipping. I pray that that piercing of the heart would take place. And Father, I pray that those that have made those decisions, that they would let me know by email or by just talking to me or a phone call so that we could help them, whether it's show them the fullness of the work of Christ and salvation, to prepare for baptism, to know the next steps to take in their Christian life. Lord, I pray that you would do your work, that people would have changed lives, that those around them would see that indeed they are different and that others would come to Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless, go with God, and be a blessing to someone else.